0: Om namo bhagavate vasudevaaya namo namo bhagavate yasya sarve samamam bha sankalpa Janagni dhādi kāramānam tam ahu panditam buddhā One is understood to be in full knowledge whose every act is devoid of desire for sense gratification. He is said by sages to be a worker whose fruit of action is burned up by the fire of perfect knowledge. Purport by his divine grace Only a person in full knowledge can understand the activities of a person in Krishna consciousness. Because the person in Krishna consciousness is devoid of all kinds of sense gratificatory propensities. It is to be understood that he has burned up the reactions of his work by perfect knowledge of his constitutional position as the eternal servitor of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is actually learned who has attained to such perfection of knowledge. Development of this knowledge of the eternal servitorship of the Lord is compared to fire. Such fire, once kindled, can burn up all kinds of reactions to work. One is understood to be in full knowledge whose every act is devoid of desire for sense gratification. He is said by sages to be a worker whose fruit of action is burned up by the fire of perfect knowledge. We are reading this afternoon from the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Lord Sri Krishna, Bhagwan is here explaining to us the art of work as a perfection of yoga. It is a common philosophy here in India that work is worship. That as long as we honestly and sincerely do our work that work is god and there is no need for the chanting of mantras there is no need for the performing of rituals or pujas we simply do our work as we are prescribed and that is the essence of bhagavad-gita But in Bhagavad Gita, we do not find this philosophy anywhere. Bhagavad Gita is teaching that yes, you must perform your prescribed duty, you must work. In fact, Lord Sri Krishna describes that you cannot even live without working, it is impossible to stop working. How you work, the consciousness in which you work, determines whether you are on the path of liberation or on the path of bondage. In the third chapter of Gita, Krishna describes, jagyaratat yatra bandana, tadatam That work done as an offering, as a sacrifice for Vishnu must be performed. He specifically uses the word sacrifice. Why he uses the word sacrifice is described in this verse we are reading today. In the third chapter, Krishna says, work done as an act of sacrifice for Krishna or for Vishnu must be performed. That is his order. Otherwise, any work you do, however honest and sincere it may be, will only be the source and the cause of bondage. So, in this verse he is saying that the sacrifice is that whatever you do should be completely devoid of the desire for sense gratification. In the material world, sense gratification is the impetus which generates everyone's energy to work. If you go to a city in America, like New York City, sometimes people from other lands, when they arrive in New York City, they are astonished. They are spellbound. They see Manhattan Island, and from a distance, my God, it's just building after building after building reaching to the sky they are so high so modern sometimes people, their hair stand on end they are they are beside themselves and then you think what type of civilization could build a city like this my god Just one building is an insurmountable feat, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of such buildings. How humans beings have created such an incredible metropolis of skyscrapers, with roadways and subways and bridges, Ah. It was all impelled by one desire. Sense gratification. Krishna says, I am the ability in man, I am the strength of the strong, I have the intelligence of the intelligent. He also says that I am fulfilling everyone's desires since time immemorial. So, because these people they have such an unextinguishable burning desire for sense enjoyment and they're willing to just build, create, destroy everything just to get more and more fame, recognition and sense gratification more facilities to enjoy God is giving them tremendous empowerment what are they doing? just like downstairs in our temple we have an orphanage with about 50 or 60 young orphan boys the Lady Northcote Hindu Orphanage. Our temple is making a humble attempt of trying to raise them according to proper virtues and religious understandings in life by which they can really be sincere, peaceful, happy citizens within our society. So we are doing some renovation work to make the facilities pleasing and clean for them tiny little rooms. It takes so much money and so much energy and so much management and so much effort. Some of us were thinking, how is it possible we will ever renovate these three rooms? But we see industrialists, they are building multi-multi-billion dollar factories within months, in half the time it takes us to decorate a room. Because there is such a drive, such an incredible amount of desire for sense gratification that is impelling them. In fact, this whole world is going on simply on the basis of that drive for sense gratification. They are discovering, in the scientific laboratories, newer and newer bombs, huh? Whatever bomb they make is not quite good enough. They're making bombs that absolutely figures out every aspect of how to destroy everyone on Earth. They make bombs where the fallout will be specifically arranged so that it will be radioactive for the next thousand years. <laughs> they don't want it. Very thorough in their bomb-making business. And in Japan, my God, did you ever see the little computerized machines that they make? A little box that you take out of your wallet and it can practically do everything that your whole secretarial um, department has done in the last 10 years, in five minutes. Huh? It is all being done by the drive for sense gratification. But Krishna here is describing that one who is in full knowledge, one is practicing yoga in truth whose every act is devoid of desire for sense gratification. Now sometimes when people take to the renounced order of life, they are no longer interested in sense gratification. Then they become very lazy. They just want to sit around and chant a few malas every day and sleep and talk about Something or other. There's no impetus. What Bhagavad Gita is teaching to Arjuna: Do not be a lazy man and run from your duty, and do not work for your own sense gratification. Yat karoshiyat asnaasya jihoshyatapasya. Whatever you do should be done as an act of love for me. The impetus of a devotee is to please Krishna. To please Krishna's servants. And based on this desire, there is infinitely more power that God will empower you with. So, really, the essence of Bhagavad Gita is easily understood. How to develop your love for Krishna by your every act, your every word, and your every thought done only with the desire to please him and to please his devotees and to think nothing of one's own selfish interests. That is the perfection of yoga. And whoever you are, if you capture this spirit, you are the perfect human being. In the Ramayana of Valmiki Muni, it is described that Lord Sri Ramchandra, after he was banished from the great kingdom of Ayodhya by his stepmother Kaikei, his charioteer Sumantra. Was driving him on the royal chariot toward the forest of Dandakaranya. Seated on the chariot behind Sumantra was Sri Lakshman, Srimati Sita, and Lord Sri Ram. And thus they traveled through the through the day and in the early evening they came to the bank of the Ganga there was a very and humble simple man living in the forest along with his associates his name was Guha by social standards he was an outcast He was of the Naishada race. The Naishadas generally are not even allowed to live within a city or a kingdom. They are considered so untouchable that they are meant to live in the forests, in the jungles. Generally people consider those persons in this category to be thieves, murderers, hunters. Very low-class and dangerous and undesirable association. So Guha was the king of this tribe of Naishadas. But because he was a great devotee of Lord Sri Ram, he possessed all the glorious, virtuous, and pure-hearted qualities of a Paramahamsa and because he was leading his small kingdom in the jungle in a spirit of pure devotion, every single man, woman and child were sincere and pure hearted devotees of the Supreme Lord and thus they were gentle they were pious, they were merciful, they were clean, they were sinless. So when Guha saw Sri Ram appear with great humility and devotion, ah, he laid his body flat in prostrate humility and offered his prayers to the Lord from his heart. And when Sri Ram saw the humility of his servant, he personally, with his own hands, he lifted him up. Understand this is very significant. Understand Guha, how he attracted the Lord's mercy. In this world we are constantly trying to pick ourselves up. Everyone in this world is trying to put himself in a higher and higher and higher position. And as long as you're trying to put yourself in a higher and higher and higher position, God just watches. And you know what it says, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. The higher you go, the harder you fall. So as long as by our own endeavors, by our own prestige, Pride, we put ourselves in higher and higher positions in the eyes of men, in the eyes of the people around us, in the eyes of our own false ego. Krishna is simply watching. And what does he see? He sees we go higher and higher and higher and higher, and then hmm, we crash to the ground. And everything's destroyed, everything's crushed. And then we think, my God. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. Why is this happening to me? What did I ever do? Huh? What you did, your mistake was you came to this material world because that is the nature of this material world. What goes up must come down. It's an ultimate law that cannot be transgressed. Huh? The law of gravity is what goes up must come down. Is there any exceptions? No. So similarly, the higher you become in your wealth, in your beauty, in your knowledge, in your fame, the higher you go, the more it's going to hurt when what went up comes down. (sighs) That's what happens. Now Guha, instead of going up, he went down. See, spiritual philosophy is completely the opposite from material out Philosophy. Material philosophy is what goes up must come down. But in spiritual philosophy, what goes down must come up. See, Gruha, he was of the lowest race. And he didn't claim to be anything but that. He was poor. He was living in the jungles. He considered himself the most insignificant. He considered himself the, the least, the most insignificant of all beings on earth. And before God, who is all great, he was given the complete understanding of how utterly tiny he is. What is our position before God? We are nothing. He does like a spark in front of the sun. Even Lord Brahma, the most powerful of all human beings in the entire creation. You know, the planet that we are living on was created by Brahma. We may build a house, a factory. We may think, oh, I have created a lot in my life. But Brahma has created all the planets and all species of life in this universe. And at one time he was feeling somewhat proud. But then Krishna displayed just one little tiny fraction of his mystic opulence. And Brahma realized that he was nothing. He prayed to Krishna that I thought I was a very bright person. In darkness, because of ignorance, I was thinking I was great. Just like a firefly in the middle of the night, he generates a little bit of light and everything around his little circle of friends lights up and he thinks, aha, just see how much power of light I have. But then when the sun rises and he stands before the sun, he realizes that his light is so small and tiny it cannot even be seen. It's so tiny it cannot even be seen in the presence of the light of Krishna. And that is Brahma. What is our position? To be proud. So Guha, when he was standing before Lord Sri Chandra, he went down he offered his prostrated obeisances, laying himself like a stick with his hands at the feet of Lord Sri Ram Jandra. And with tears in his eyes and a choked voice, he was simply begging the Lord in his heart, I am your humble servant. Let me always remain your humble servant. And because he took the lowest position, Lord Śrī Ram, with his own lotus hands, he reached down. He reached way down all the way to the ground. And he put his lotus hands, those all-merciful hands, upon the body of Guha and lifted him up. And after lifting him to the highest level of being face-to-face with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he embraced him. He put his arms around him with great affection and squeezed him with love. And as he was embracing Guha, ah, Lord Ramchandra, out of love, for the humility of his devotee. Tears were bathing his devotee from his own lotus-like eyes. In Guha he was crying and trembling. His heart was overflowing with the ecstasy of divine love. So in spiritual life what goes down comes up. And what is the manifestation of love? The manifestation of love is surrender and service. Maharaj Guha, he said to Lord Ramchandraji, he said, We are most fortunate. There is no one so fortunate as us because you have come to our uh, our simple jungle kingdom to bless us. Today is the ultimate fortune of our lives. Our prayer to you, Lord Ram, is this kingdom, please accept it. It is yours. It is not mine, it is yours. We want you to live here. We want you to enjoy everything and anything that is here and everyone that is here. And myself and everyone in the kingdom, we only have one business. We will simply please you, make you happy, and serve you in any way. Please accept everything I have. It is very insignificant, but we will make you feel as if you never left Ayodhya. We will make you feel by our love that you are right at home. And you will never, ever, ever suffer even the slightest inconvenience of being in the jungle. Let us please you, my Lord. Let us serve you in this way by surrendering everything. And Lord Sri Ram, his heart captured by the purity of the devotion of King Guha he replied my dear friend everything you are offering is most auspicious and full of love but please understand that my father has banished me to the forest for 14 years. I am not allowed to live in a kingdom. I must live in the jungle. So therefore, all I require from you is that you give some water to my horses, because they are thirsty. to see the glory of the Supreme Personality of Godhood. He's being offered everything a man has and all the Lord wants is a little water for his horses. You see, the Lord is kind upon everyone. Just as Lord Sri Chandra was so much concerned with some animals. How much we must show concern and compassion to the well-being of even the least amongst creatures on this earth. Give some food and water to my horses, and for me all I require is the root of a tree to lay my head. So Maharaj Guha, he immediately got water and food to feed the Lord's horses. By serving the servants of the Lord, you serve the Lord. By pleasing the servants of the Lord, you please the Lord. Sometimes we want to please the the Guru or the Acharya. And we think, yes, this will be very pleasing to the Lord. But that is not enough. Because in order to please the Guru and the Acharya, you must also satisfy his horses. Even the least of the servants of the Lord, the Lord loves them. And to show our love for Krishna or to Ram, we must show our love even to the least of his servants. That is love. So then he got nice leaves and he prepared a simple bed for Sita and Ram. And they lay down in this bed to rest. And as they rested, Sita and Ram, for the evening, Guha invited Lakshman, Please, you take rest also. I will prepare a nice bed for you. It is prepared. Lakshman said, No, no, no. How can I rest? I must guard Ram and Sita 24 hours a day from any dangers that may come upon them. Of course, Guha, he said, No, no. Me and my whole kingdom, we will guard. You rest. So Lakshman said, then we will guard together. So throughout the night, Guha and Lakshman sat attentively guarding all directions in rapt meditation, thinking of service to Ram. This in fact is the highest state of Samadhi. Patanjali has said in the Yoga Sutra uh, Samadhi Sudhir Ishwara uh, Pranipana." He says that the perfection of Samadhi is to always be fixed in meditation on the Supreme Lord. And the perfection of Samadhi is to be completely engrossed in serving the Lord with one's body, mind, words, and life. Huh? This is surrender. This is the bliss, the joy of the soul. This is the love that the soul is grasping for in all circumstances of life. This is the love that since time immemorial we have been depriving ourselves of due to our selfish, petty ambitions to enjoy this world. But the glory of true love was exhibited by Uha as he sat throughout the night engrossed in one object, one goal, the service and the pleasure of Ram and Sita. The next morning the sun rose on the eastern horizon, and at that time Maharaj Guha, in great love, he arranged a boat to take Lord Sri Ram, Sita, and Lakshman across the Ganga and he bid him farewell. But you see, the Lord reciprocates eternally with his devotees. The Lord's appearance and disappearance from our vision is not different. Because when he disappears from our worldly vision, He appears even brighter within our heart. The residents of Vrindavan, they felt Krishna's presence with such divine joy when he was residing in Braja. But when he left, they felt his presence millions of times more intensely. And their ecstasy only increased This is the reciprocation of the love between the Lord and His devotees. This is bhakti. The one goal meant for every human being. Do not waste your time making any other priority in life. Do what you have to do. Earn what you have to earn. Take care of the responsibilities you have to take care of but don't make any of those things ever a goal in your life. Shayat Makabud. Here's Krishna says there should only be one goal in our life and that is the loving service of the Lord. The awakening of our devotion for the pleasure of Krishna. So this is one example Out of innumerable examples of great souls who are living embodiments of this most glorious verse of the Bhagavad Gita. This verse is like a jewel, it is like a shining jewel, and we should protect this jewel within our heart forever. One is understood to be in full knowledge, whose every act is devoid of desire for sense gratification. He is said by sages to be a worker whose fruitive action is burned up by the fire of perfect knowledge. What is that perfect knowledge? Perfect knowledge means the truth. In the fourth chapter, this very chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes one who thus knows the truth, he understands that all living beings are part of me and that they are in me and that they are mine. We are eternally the servants of Krishna. That is the ultimate truth. And by associating with great personalities and by hearing the glories of such great souls as Maharaj Guha and by chanting the holy names of the Lord with attentive devotion, this perfect knowledge which is sleeping within our heart will be awakened and when it awakes it will be like the awakening of the sun in the morning Krishna says in Gita that when however one is enlightened by this knowledge then all darkness is dispelled just as the sun lights up everything in the day so let us take very seriously the purpose and the goal of our human life. Chant the holy names, hear the glories of such great souls and find the jewel of eternal peace that is within us. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Are there any questions? As you have said that uh, we should not work for our own self-gratification, we have to work for Krishna. How to serve him. Can you speak loudly so everyone? As we have said that we have to not to work for ourselves, not for the sense gratification but we have to work for Krishna. In that effort of that how to serve him. But it is absorbed, means it has been observed all over the world. That those persons who are working for sense gratification, they are making much more good progress compared to those persons who are working for to serve kshetras. I am talking about material world. Hmm. They are able to work. They are able to work. They are able to show very good progress. Efficiency, everything. Mm. Compared to those persons who are working only as, uh, on that level that we are serving to Krishna, mm. their ability, their temperament, <laughs> everything comes down to some extent. Mm. And that's why when we compare with both of them, we feel that we are going somewhat wrong as such, or we are on the right path. Mm. Can you just clarify? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I will try. <laughs> You see, what Krishna wants from us is not material results. He wants from us love. Huh? He can empower you to create an entire universe in five seconds if He desires. Is that not His priority? Why does He not? If you're proud now, can you imagine how proud you'll be then? Huh? I'm speaking about all of us. The little we can do, we're so proud. Just see what I have done. And if we do something wrong, we're so proud, we think, just see what somebody else has done. huh? It's his fault. We like to take the credit for the most insignificant things we do. Because everything's insignificant that we do. And we want to give all the blame to everyone else. If there's anyone in this room who is never thinking like this, I humbly dare you to raise your hand right now. Huh? So we're all proud. Now the materialists, the more Krishna empowers them, the more proud they become. And the more proud, the more distant they become from God. Correct? So Krishna wants our love. Do you think he needs any of our um, accomplishments. He's Atmaram. He's self satisfied. He's Yogeshwar. He's the master of all mystics. He needs nothing, but he wants our love. Therefore, oftentimes, if Krishna sees that the best thing for the development of your love is, he takes everything away from you. Huh? He'll smash you. He'll frustrate all your attempts. If that's what you need, to develop your love. And it usually is. It's not his fault. It's your fault. Right? He's merciful. Now, let us take the example of someone who has that love. And I dare you to find anyone in the history of this planet who has ever done what this man has done. His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, when he was 70 years old, he had 40 rupees to his name. He had no bank accounts. He had no property. He had 40 rupees. You spend 40 rupees within seconds, do you not? every day, so many times. Huh? That was his, the entire extent of his proprietorship in this world. And he had an umbrella. Huh? (laughs) And he had some simple cloth that was given to him as a donation in Vrindavan that he wore. He did not fly Air India, Lufthansa, or Swiss Air. If he had the money, he didn't have anything. He was put on a cargo ship, not even a passenger ship, but a cargo ship, and he was given a little bed. Now, can you tell me anyone who had that position, who was in such a condition materially, at 70 years old, whoever did something great? Can you think of anybody? Can anyone? You all read the newspapers. Someone who started their life, in one sense, at that age, in that position. When he went to New York City, he first went to Butler, Pennsylvania, and he lived in a little, little town, Butler, I have been there many times. He lived with a the family. They were giving him what he needed. He was thinking, "What am I doing here for Krishna?" So we went to New York City. Didn't know anybody. Didn't have any help. He was writing to his friends in India. Send some, send some, send a murdanga, send a pair of kartals, something that I can have. Your time. Nobody would even send that. He was alone in the wilderness of the most sinful, gruesome city in the planet Earth. Huh? Now you ask if someone could accomplish great things with their devotee. Because of Prabhupada's pure love, within the next few years he had established 108 beautiful temples in every continent of the Earth. Ah, many of the temples worth hundreds and thousands of dollars he had a movement worth tens and millions of dollars he had tens and thousands of people who would give their lives at any second of the day to please him, to serve him, to help him, to assist him Any place he went in the world, there were thousands of people waiting for him with garlands, with sumptuous foodstuffs, providing him the most wonderful facilities. Huh? He accomplished a lot, did he not? Because he had complete faith in the holy name of God. So if because of pride it is an impediment, Krishna may take everything away and smash you. But if you actually are sincere with love to serve the Lord, He can give you everything. But what did Prabhupada do? With all his millions and millions and millions of dollars, with all his millions of books being distributed in over a hundred languages all over the world, he never accepted a single thing for his sense gratification. He was simply offering it all to Krishna. In fact, personally, he preferred living in his little room in Vrindavan. (laughs) Sudama Vipra also he was a very poor man but by the grace of Krishna he was made more wealthy than Indra the king of heaven so it is not true that if you become a devotee you cannot accomplish things within this world these two examples are examples of persons who accomplish more in this world than anybody that we've ever heard of in history Huh? Because they surrendered to Krishna. Because their every act was devoid of desire for sense gratification, as Krishna describes in this verse we are reading today. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.